G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia. The world has changed completely, all within the space of a single month. At the start of March, Coronavirus was something that was still basically over there, safely out of mind. And now the global economy has ground to a halt. International borders are closed. Tens, possibly hundreds of millions of people are out of work. Perhaps a third of the planet is under some form of lockdown. It sounds like fiction, but we all know it's true. So how do we come to grips with the biggest event, not just health, not just economic, not just diplomatic or social, that any of us have ever seen in our lives? Welcome back to a Twister series unlike any other that has come before. Wash your hands, put on your masks, and get ready for a whole new world on This Week in Startups Australia. Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by the University of Technology Sydney, driving the next generation of entrepreneurs. UTS is equipping a new breed of startups by inspiring founders and students to launch their own venture and build a foundation for a successful career. To find out more about entrepreneurship at UTS and the UTS Startups Program, go to startups.uts.edu.au. One of the first epicenters of COVID-19 cases in the United States was in Santa Clara County, California, better known as Silicon Valley. Now, in one sense, that is hardly surprising. So much of the business of making things that Silicon Valley sells happens in China, much of that in Wuhan. So there's a continuous flow of capital, of products, of ideas, of people. And that was the great promise of the 21st century, a global world open to whatever might happen next. And of course, that's all changed. But has it changed Silicon Valley? To answer that question, we're opening Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia with the show's patron, patron saint, and padrone. (laughs) The podfather. Jason Calacanis. Welcome back, Jason. Oh, it's great to be here. Um, I'm glad you're safe, and I'm glad you're dedicating uh, the season to this. It is extraordinary. It's like nothing we've ever experienced in our lives, and we've had eventful lives, haven't we? (laughs) We have had eventful lives, and you are right now quite in the midst of this. I presume you're bunking yeah. down at home in Silicon yes. Valley. This literally is day 21 for me. Uh, my last in-person meeting was Tuesday three weeks ago, and I'm an extroverted person. I have learned through this that I am never going to prison. I am not designed for solitary confinement. Uh, but thank God for podcasting and Zoom and being able to like talk to my friends over these different... Um, uh, you know, teleconferencing, video conferencing systems, but it is really uh, crazy right now here. Um, it's we were the first, I think, to go on lockdown in the United States for sure, and it was a very interesting moment because you 
We were watching on social media in January and February these videos coming out of Wuhan and people being welded into their houses, supposedly. And you wonder, because you see stuff on social media, you should, you know, obviously be wary that it's fake. And so we're sitting there at poker, like showing each other videos going, wow, is this real? What is this about? Uh, and then all of a sudden, people are taking their kids out of school and we're having this debate. And it was so fast. Yes. And I think that's what I'm going to remember about this is Tuesday and Wednesday, you're saying, hey, should we take our kids out of school? Should we be working from home? And you have this, you're overreacting, you're underreacting. You're not giving, you're not taking this seriously enough. No, you're overreacting. And then you would flip roles with your spouse or your loved ones or your coworkers or your co-founders or portfolio companies. And then all of a sudden it's Thursday or Friday and we shut down everything. And so thank God we did that because now the numbers in San Francisco and the Bay Area are absolutely astonishing. We've had 13 patients at UCSF, that's our major hospital here, for like five days in a row and seven or nine people on ICU. So this wave that was gonna come, the tsunami of death and you know ICUs and people dying in the waiting rooms, it just hasn't happened well, here. In other words, New York. I mean, because in other words, New York, which is we starting know. To, to feel that, yeah, yeah, we yeah. know, we know yeah. what happens when that goes wrong. All right, so it's really good to know that, in some sense, Silicon Valley got out in front of, and it's funny because we we hear the logic of exponential thinking, particularly from the Singularity University types, but when the actual exponential comes along, no one is really prepared for something. You know, as you're saying, it all seemed a lot further away and was coming a lot. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it is completely surrounding you. How did all of the businesses that you know deal with that? Did they, did they all basically do the same thing? Did you see every one of them do it differently? What happened? Yeah, so, you know, the thing about entrepreneurs is they're a group of people who are highly intelligent. They want to collect facts. They're kind of built for this kind of situation. And you see that emerging on Twitter where people are like, wait a second, what is the death rate? It's yeah. 8% of people get this die. That can't be right. Is it right? If that is right, this is one course of action. Uh, and then they're like, no, no, we're only testing people who are severely have these symptoms. And okay, well, what about the people who are not... Um, are not uh, severe. Mm. And so you have this like real intellectual debate going on. Now, you may be surprised to hear this, Mark, but on Twitter, sometimes a debate like this, people can be insincere <laughs> and they can virtue signal and they can flame each other and troll each other. So it, it's Perish very the hard. thoughts. <laughs> Perish the thought. But it's been very, very uh, interesting. Um, it's been very interesting to see um, people start to navigate this, right? It's almost like you're you're in the clouds, you're a pilot, and you're looking and you're trying to get your bearings. And I think we have our bearings now. Mm. And I actually feel super positive mm. about how we're going to resolve this. It feels like there's going to be a very clear path to victory here. Uh, and, and that makes me really excited. Now, to your original question of like how do startups deal with this, um, while you're processing all of that, you still have to survive as a company yeah. uh, and you have to make really hard decisions. Like, is my business going to have revenue spike or go to zero? Right. And I'll just give you examples from our portfolio. Cafe X was really focused, it's a robotic coffee machine on airports. Mm. And oh dear. we were doing, yeah, exactly, and they were doing incredible gangbusters right. business. God, it was like a three or four year journey to get to the airports. We get to the airports, we have product market fit, and boom. 
<laughs> They're closed. And I remember because the last time I was in San Jose Airport flying through, there's a Cafe X there. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just like one of these things that as entrepreneurs, you got to really try to keep an even keel. Mm-hmm. Not too high, not too low. And then you get into a crisis situation and now you're a wartime CEO. You're a wartime president. You're a wartime consigliere, whatever it is. And that's what I am. I'm the consigliere in this. I'm trying to, um, you know, uh, give advice to founders. And in that case, there is a silver lining. Obviously, people don't want to touch food and the sanitary yeah. kind of conditions matter. So there, there's some positive things there, but you're going to have to really slow down expenses and wait this out. Yeah. Um, and then we had another business, you know, like uh, Steezy, which is online dance lessons, yeah. or Calm.com, meditation, uh, or uh, Fitbod, workout app for when you're working out at home and you don't have a lot of equipment. Yeah. So those things, all of a sudden you see trials go up. Yeah. So first things first. You got to take care of everybody on your team. Yep. You want to make sure everybody's home and safe. People now have to take care of their kids. Yep. All of a sudden, you're like, wow, <laughs> childcare is really intense. Um, and then people are scared, right? Your team is scared. And so there's a lot to unpack here. And I'm happy to go through all the tactics. So, uh, I mean, it, you, just, you just touched on one of them. We have literally seen in Australia in a two-week period at least a million people lost their jobs, right? At least. I mean, we really don't know because it's kind of rolling. I've heard figures out of America. I mean, I know there were 3 million unemployment applications in a single week's time, but the number of people who are actually out of work now, either functionally or actually out of work, is probably in the tens of millions, right? Uh, Certainly on a global basis, yeah. And so I guess there's a couple of questions. One of them is, if you have a startup that needs to press the hibernate button, that needs to wait for the external conditions to change. How do you do that? What are you telling startups about how to do? Because it's not the same as shutting the business down, right? You probably don't want to pull the plug. Right. You want to hit it right. on low power mode. Yeah, so now you're, you're getting to the heart of it, which is, wow, now here's a really hard decision. Do I shut the company down yeah. and everybody absolutely loses their job? Or do I... Um, lower everybody's salary and Mm. survive? Do I furlough some people, which means we're not paying you, but you can still come back when the business is back to uh, where it needs to be? So there's a lot of nuance here. The first thing you have to say is, just like an airplane, what's our altitude? How much fuel do we have? And altitude in this is runway and fuel is money. So, okay, if we're spending $100,000 a month, we're burning $100,000 a month, right? We have no revenue. We're just a pure, you know, tech company working on something. We have $2 million in the bank. We have 20 months of runway. Okay, we don't need to do anything crazy in month one. We can assess the situation. Now, let's take the same example. You're burning 100K a month. But you decided you were going to get cute and go for a higher valuation and, and run it with just six months of runway, which I always tell founders, don't do that. Yeah. But they do it because they're like, well, if I raise all that money, I'm going to dilute my shares, right? I'm going to dilute the cap table. So I'm just going to raise six months at a time. Mm-hmm. Really rookie mistake, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it blows up your face. So with six months, you're going to have to say, you know what? We're going to have to have a really frank talk. Is there any other way for us to make money? In right. the meantime, can we do consulting? Um, And this is an interesting thing right now because we're exploring now adjacencies, right? What other business can you be in right now to to keep the doors open? And I've seen more inventive thinking around that kind of adjacency thinking in the last week because bankruptcy focuses the mind. Like anything, you know, constraint makes for great art. And when you're on a timeline, 
just like that term paper, you know, you, you had a lot of fun that semester, but the term paper's coming due and you get to those last like five, six days, all of a sudden you get really motivated. You're in the uh, library for two, two or three days in a row and you get it done. So, you know, that's one of the great things about entrepreneurs is their resourcefulness. And if as an investor in them and as an entrepreneur myself, you know, that's really what you optimize for. I've always optimized in investing for founders who can take a nickel and turn it into a dollar as opposed to founders when I give them a dollar and they get a nickels of value from it or a, you know, a quarter of value from it. And so hopefully I've invested in resourceful people. If you do have to go, let's just say you had a parallel scenario. We've got 10 people and we're burning uh, you know, 100000 a month, yeah. most of its salaries. Um, and you need to extend your runway, so you have to get rid of three people. So in that situation with 10 people, you could argue everybody takes a 30% haircut and takes a salary cut, or we, we let go of three people. And I think the most important thing is to be compassionate about that and have that transparent discussion with the team. Hey, we need to have this much runway to get out of this. We think we can raise money in Q4, but more likely Q1. We need to get there to survive. We have work we can do that will show that... We're worthy of that investment, but we need to extend the runway. So um, the management team, the three founders, are taking 40% uh, pay cuts, and we're asking everybody else to take those. We want to, you know, and you can float those ideas and have those difficult conversations with people. And what people really respect in a leader is honesty. And this is not a time to spin. You just got to put all the cards on the table. You know, in in wartime, that's what it's about. Like, listen, we're going to take that hill. That's going to be a very hard hill to take. And when, when we might not all make it over the hill. Yeah. And uh, when you say that, then people can buy into the mission or they can opt out. You may get people who just opt out. Yeah. Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I, you know, startups were interesting, but not for me. I'm out. And, and, and I think that's a lot of the discussion going on now. And everyone who makes it through this will have had the battle scars around this. But I'm also wondering now, are you advising your startups to also go and renegotiate with their landlord? Because they're not even using the space right now. But you see people getting pauses on all of their bills so they can actually reduce that runway. Right. Yeah, I think this is unprecedented territory. When the dot-com bust happened, when the financial crisis happened, people stopped paying their bills. And when I had Silicon Eye Report on my magazine in the 90s, it was amazing to watch you know, these companies that had bought hundreds of thousands of dollars a year each in ads and in aggregate $10 million a year in ads just stop paying their bills. And you know, that's what's going to happen here. People are not going to pay rent and rent tomorrow we're recording this on the 31st i'm not sure when it comes out but you know april 1st may 1st june 1st i'm talking to landlords actually many of them they're not expecting to get paid and i think this is such a unique circumstance that this is not going to be a situation where the landlords are going to you know drop the hammer on one person because they're going to be faced with a hundred people coming to them so this is not like oh i had one out of a hundred tenants stiff me i'm going to stick the lawyers on them this might be you know 60 70 80 of your tenants don't pay rent this month, you're going to have to start a dialogue about that. And so I think there's going to be a lot of dialogue going on around that. And people are going to miss their rent, both personally and both in business. But I I look at this and I say to myself, wait a second, the people who are owed those bills, if everybody's collectively owed those bills and everybody's taking a pause on spending, I think everybody's going to be able to weather this. And I think you're going to see this esprit de corps kind of, you know, people trying to work their way through it together because it is one of these things where it's not anybody's fault. Yeah. I mean, it's, no. it's super clear to people that yeah. this is not mismanagement. Yeah. This is not like somebody took the money to Vegas and, you know, <laughs> blew it playing blackjack. I mean, this is a pandemic that nobody except Bill Gates and the World Health Organization, the United Nations, and countless other scientists told us that was coming. 
and to please prepare for. And I think that's like a great other segment of like, oh my God, how did we not take this more seriously? And I think that there's going to be plenty of time for post-mortems when we get- So to speak, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. when we get to the other side. Now, the other thing that we're seeing, and it's happening really just now, and it's happening right where you are, is that there's now a strike going on at Amazon and yep. Whole Foods, a couple of other places, because yeah. frontline workers are now taking a risk. Any delivery worker is now taking a risk. Anyone who's interacting with the public is taking a risk that they aren't necessarily being compensated for. How do we start to think about how to adjust that any public-facing job is now potentially a dangerous job? Yeah, I think everybody who has the means or the station in life needs to look at every one of those delivery workers, mm-hmm. like they look at a healthcare worker mm-hmm. or a firefighter or a police officer or a doctor or a nurse and be incredibly grateful to them and then also realize that they're paid a fraction of what those other people get. And so I'm just maxing out tips on all of these myself personally. And um, you may have seen my tweet the other day. I said to Bezos uh, and Amazon, you know, why not let us set a default tip? And I'm from Brooklyn. Mm. I like to tip. Yeah. You've been out with me eating. You've seen my tips. Like, I'm a ridiculous yeah. tipper. It's, it's one of my philosophies in life yeah. is like, those are the people who need it most. Absolutely. You know, like if I, and if I had a choice to give, you know, a hundred bucks to a really great charity or a hundred bucks to a middle class or, you know, up and coming person, you know, at a, at a coffee shop or at lunch, I'm going to, I'm going to do the latter. It's just personally how I grew up was as a waiter and busboy in the restaurant business. So I love to give those big tips. Mm. So this is the time to do that. This is the time to give every person who's delivering a package to you 20 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever you can give, even if it's just 10 bucks, because they're doing two or three of these deliveries an hour, it adds up. If one, if all of us do it, yeah. you know, they could start making 30, 40. I'm talking US here for you guys. You could add a little bit to it. And this is a really good way of thinking about it, is that really just by changing some default settings in all of the apps that all of us are using for all of the things, it actually just gets taken care of. I like that because it's really simple. Defaults matter. Yeah. Like we always talk about this in design. Defaults matter. If you default something on, and so I literally, and I'm, I don't mind saying this publicly because I know Jeff Bezos, um, you know, we've we've met a bunch of times. And I emailed him personally and I just said, hey, because I said it publicly, I wanted to say it personally to him too. I said, listen, Jeff, can you just make this a setting? Yeah. And I think myself and other people would just set it at 25 bucks and leave it there. Yeah. And every time they come, just give them that hazard pay. And, you know, there's other things like masks are in short supply, gloves. And what a mind trip it is. I don't know if you've watched the videos on how you're supposed to take your deliveries and clean them before you put them in your house. But I'm on my hands and knees every two days, every other day, sometimes every day, on the front porch with gloves, a mask, and wiping down with alcohol yeah. every box, taking the cereal out of the box, throwing that box away, putting things over the portal, like into the house is clean, having my daughters bring it to the kitchen, then soaping every vegetable. I mean, this has really gotten us, um, and my entire family, where it's a very interesting thing. You know, you watch these preppers and how obsessed they are with like surviving. And then you're put in that situation and it just, your mind opens up a little bit like, oh my God, the world is fragile. The first time after this had really fully set in that I walked into my local, so Harris Farms is the equivalent of Whole Foods, right? Sort of upper middle class, very nice market. And I'm seeing all of the produce beautifully laid out and I went, oh my God, everyone has touched these apples, right? I know, exactly. It's something I never even thought about before. And now I'm like, oh my God, no! And it's, (laughs) it's that kind of change in our thinking, in our behaviors. 
I do know that the public health folks think that for the first time in human history, we will probably start washing our hands regularly because it's so important right now. Yeah. And think about shaking hands. Like this is another very nuanced conversation that cannot happen on Twitter, but can happen on a podcast very easily, which is why intelligent people uh, and considered people love podcasts, uh, both on the production and consumption side, uh, is because you have a nuanced discussion. There are historical, traditional, cultural things that need to change. Yeah. And there's things that we need to look at and copy. Now, you, you and I have spent time in Tokyo and Japan. Yeah. They bow. Yeah. They wear a mask. The yeah. first time I saw people wear a mask, I'm like, why are they wearing a mask? And they're like, oh, because they're sick. Because like, they're oh, sick. They're some, it's like somebody's sick and they don't want to get it. And they're like, no, no, they're sick. They don't want to get other people sick. And I was like, really? How selfless. Um, and you know I'm a bit of a germaphobe. And every time I'm at an event, I have my standard trick. I put a coffee in one hand yeah. and then I put my phone in the other. And I stand in the hall and I meet everybody. And everybody wants to shake your hand, take a selfie. I'm totally cool with taking the selfie. I'm totally not cool with shaking hands. And I tell them, you do not want to shake my hand. It's a Petri dish. And the way I've gotten away with it for decades is it used to be the New York Times and a cup of coffee when I was in New York. Now it's a smartphone and a cup of coffee. (laughs) There's no way to shake my hand. I'm carrying two things. So copy me. Um, And then we have to ask ourselves, like, so that, you know, Americans are animals with the shaking of the hands. That's disgusting. It's got to stop. Um, fist bumps, uh, you know, at a max. And then you think about door handles. You know, in Japan, there's no door handles. Mm. Things just open automatically. And we and we're chime very nicely as they open. Chime and say hello. Perfect. Yeah. So there's some of the copy. And then, you know, you think about people uh, spitting and, you know, in China and some other Asian cities, people spit. Yeah. And they might spit in a restaurant or a department store. And I've seen that. And it's like, whoa, okay, that's a bit intense. And that's a cultural thing. And then the most cultural thing that really nobody wants to talk about and is the wet markets. And mm. you, know, you start looking at this is now a pattern. This has come out of the wet markets multiple times. If I told you this and SARS and yeah. Ebola all came from a chicken farm yeah. and they had a chicken market and they butchered chickens there alive and it was in New York City. You'd be like, why do they have that in New York City? And HIV. Let's not forget HIV comes from bushmeat chimpanzees. So, yeah. yes. And so maybe, and, and after the SARS outbreak, I, you know, I did a little research on this. I searched Google News before 2018 mm. for wet markets. Mm-hmm. And when you do that search, you find countless stories about the WHO, World Health Organization, and other organizations saying, please, the Economist, the Guardian, everybody, please shut down these markets because, the, what do they call them, pangolias? Or I think are the Pangolins. Animals? Pangolins. Uh, and then bats yeah. and all these crazy animals. And the tradition from what I read in these stories is Chinese people want to, they think that they could be counterfeit meat, so they want to see the animal. Mm. And they believe the energy is freshest when the animal is slaughtered in front of them because they want to eat it within that period of time. You know what? Too bad. <laughs> this is way too dangerous. Yeah. We need to have some basic health and safety. We went through this in America and, and many other places. So this is where China really needs to step it up. And they closed the markets last time, but only for a short period of time. And they got to just permanently close those markets because confined space, butchering live animals, exotic ones. And it turns out these COVID, the series of viruses, uh, seems to coalesce. I mean, you know, you jump down the rabbit hole at a time like this and try to understand everything you can as a journalist, as an entrepreneur, mm. um, as, a, as a citizen. Uh, bats. Yes. Uh, anything that is very uh, closely, close together in their hives, in their, you know, dens. Yeah. It turns out bats, yeah. thousands of them together. One of them gets this, all of them have it. And, uh, you know, 
the equivalent for us is airplanes. <laughs> or, no, cruise ships. <laughs> the worst. <yeah. laughs> the worst. All right. We're talking to Jason Calacanis on This Week in Startups Australia. We will be right back. Developing entrepreneurial skills is at the heart of the student experience at the University of Technology, Sydney. UTS students are creating their own jobs and starting their own companies through the flagship program, UTS Startups. Within its first year, the program has launched well more than 200 student startups. They're just getting started. Equipping students with the tools and expertise to become entrepreneurs, then connecting them to industry partners and the startup ecosystem, it's all part of their innovative approach. UTS is connecting thousands of talented students to industry and works closely with a network of partners to match students and startups through its startup internship program. As a leading university of technology and Australia's number one young university, UTS is investing heavily in this future right now. UTS's inner city campus is also uniquely positioned in Sydney's thriving tech precinct to be the catalyst for digital and creative industries and the startup community. Join them on the journey building Australia's largest community of student entrepreneurs. Go to startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. And we're back talking to Jason Calacanis on this first episode of this I week. love your ad reads, by the way. Sorry to interrupt, but you're so flawless in them. That's so great. <laughs> you're so lucky these advertisers. It's great. Sponsors, we love you. Thank you. And we do love the sponsors. Um, so, Jason, you are investor number three in Uber. And no one yeah. wants to get into a share car right now. Yeah, yeah. Are you challenging? Uh, what would what? I mean, Uber Eats is something everyone wants right now, though. Is Uber Eats yeah. going to be the thing that carries Uber through to the other side, where we actually feel like we want to get into a car that someone else has been in? I see the end game here uh, in terms of uh, the solution. So we're looking at China, which is kind of hard to trust the data there. Obviously, yeah. um, they might have their thumb on the scale. Yeah, go figure. Um, but in uh, you know Japan. South Korea, other places, we're going to start to get an idea of what the progression here is. And it seems like social distancing obviously works. Mass testing. Mass right? I'm talking testing. about mass testing. Test Everybody everyone. Test everyone. I, I cannot believe that we're still having this discussion where there's not enough tests. It just, this is my hot button. This is my hot button. It's like, why, just make the tests, just test everybody. Okay, let's right. move on. So, but now we get everybody tested. Yeah. Now, let's say people, you know, are now have had it and they're in the clear. Yeah. Um, now we can start to say, okay, those people can go back to work under these circumstances. Mm. Some distancing at work, wearing a mask, whatever it is. And then maybe checking everybody's temperature when they get on the subway, when they get on the bus, when they get to the office. And then maybe everybody gets tested every week. Yeah. Maybe, you know, depending on the situation you're in, if you're in a restaurant, maybe you got to get tested every two or three days. 
uh, et cetera. And so I think we'll be back. To, my guesstimate was that we would be back in restaurants between a- in San Francisco, mm. April 15th to, a- to the end of April. I put April 15th to that, and they just said we're going to take the entire month off yeah. here. I think that's probably overdoing it, but we'll see. I mean, it, the, the overreacting is clearly the right thing to do. Yeah. Then there's treatments like chloroquine and the Z-Packs. They're obviously working uh, to some extent, according to doctors, and you know, following doctors and what they do for themselves, pretty good indicator of, you know, how they feel about a drug. And a lot of doctors have been prescribing that for themselves, from what I understand. And so, I think we'll, I, I think we'll be back to normalcy in Q3, and normalcy will be a different standard for interpersonal uh, touching, et cetera, and then mass testing and temperatures being taken. I mean, it's going to be a radically different life in one way. But we have to get back to some baseline here, um, and then we're going to have to have, uh, like you said, a whole postmortem on how to do this the next time. So for a company like Uber, um, you know, it really gets back to what we talked about earlier, which is if you have the ability to build a war chest as a business, mm. and you can raise a large amount of money at a fair, good, or great price, I highly recommend doing it. What did Uber do? They raised a heck of a lot of money over, I think, $12 billion in the IPO. They still have $10 billion of it. The, and what people don't understand about their business is it's elastic. Uh, so you know they have a fixed cost, but in a city that has a small number of people at work because it's a marketplace and it's an asset light marketplace. The idea was always a sharing economy, which we've kind of forgotten. But you know the, the people who own cars are sharing their cars with the people who go into them. It's their personal car and it's your car. And all that time it wasn't used your car, now you can use it. So that was the idea here always about Uber. And so I think they'll make it through no problem. Dara's given great guidance on that, the the CEO. And so I think it'll be fine. And and obviously, you you never want to see a business boom because of a crisis like this, but that is the natural second and third order effect People who are making video games, people who are making education, people uh, who are homeschooling, we're going to see a whole series of things really boom after this. Does does Zoom come out of this as a, say, quarter trillion or half trillion dollar company? You never want to see companies boom because of something like this, but uh, that is the second and third order effects. And that's, that's, I think, where we're at right now as a society. You know, I think people are going to be safe. Uh, I think the more the, the um, I forgot the acronym for it, but the people who die from it, uh, from the disease, um, the fatality rate is going to be much lower than people anticipated because they don't know the true denominator. Once we start doing mass testing, we're going to know that yeah. the treatments are going to get better. So we're going to know how to treat people earlier. We're not going to be guessing like Wuhan had to guess. How do we treat these people? They didn't know. Now we're going to know. And then, of course, we'll have. The entire world is working on a cure here. Yeah. Whoever gets that cure gets, you know, the what do they call it? The Nobel Peace Prize. Like, you're going to get the Nobel Peace Prize if you cure this, yeah. Uh, yeah. like hands down. And we might be giving it to 10 people uh, because there might be multiple cures. So I'm an optimist. I think we find a cure, you know, uh, in the next six to 12 months. I think we have the treatments like right at our fingertips and we have testing right at our fingertips. And then we have, it. it, it might be the case that social distancing, wearing masks, and, and these kind of things work flawlessly and um, in terms of getting people back to work at least. And, and people under 50 might be able to go back to work, maybe people under 60, maybe people who are diabetic, overweight, asthma, or in the high-risk groups, maybe they stay home. Maybe they have to quarantine a little bit. So th- there's going to be some path to going back. And then I don't know if you're following this concept of test and trace. Yes. And they're going to be tracing everybody and, you know, hey, if you're sick, we've got to see your phone. We've got to know where you are. Yeah. Okay. So 
One of the things that I've heard people talking about is what we call the dead in the water problem. So if you are on a destroyer and you're in a battle zone and you lose power and you're dead in the water, the first thing you need to do is figure out what went wrong. But the next thing you yeah. need to do is to restart the destroyer. And it turns out yeah. that that is an enormously difficult problem. And this is, in some sense, the problem that the global economy is going to be facing as we come out the other side. Because we've never had to restart an economy before and yeah. where literally every cable got pulled, basically in a two-week period. Every cable everywhere has been pulled. You can't get an international flight. You can barely get an interstate flight. You certainly can't get one in, in Australia. All of the states are basically sealed off one from another unless you want to go and do a two-week quarantine. A lot of America's like that as well. We're going yeah. to come out of that, but we're going to have essentially no functioning airlines, not that much logistics capacity. We'll have incredible digital infrastructure because it's what we use through this. But we have to restart everything else. How do we do that? How do we even start to think about that? Yeah, it's going to be pretty straightforward. Um, you know, there's going to have to be massive stimulus poured into yeah. every economy. Mm. And so in America, they're just going to give UBI basically yeah. to everybody. They're just going to send everybody a check. Yeah. And if you don't want the check, you don't have to cash it. If you cash it and you make a lot of money in the next year in taxes, you've got to pay it back. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And so there's going to be some very common sense stuff like that that'll occur. And then on top of it, you know, I think uh, we'll see bailouts for the companies. That'll be great. Um, you know, for airlines and stuff like that, there's no choice. I don't, I'm not a fan of that, but this is a once in a lifetime yeah. kind of. I don't see how that of, doesn't happen, though. I think it's just otherwise there's no airlines, right? Yeah, it would be kind of hard to restart these. I yeah. mean, you'd have to go through a bankruptcy proceeding. This is a lot of turnover to occur in a short period of time. So it, there, I was talking to somebody and they said there was no scenario planned for going from. Um, going from a very large amount of uh, flights every day to zero. Yeah, yeah. Like, they didn't do that. Or Hollywood. Hollywood had its first $0 revenue week last week. $0 box office. First time Crazy. in history, right? And I know a lot of people, as you do, who work in entertainment, who are basically not working now, and who, who knows? How, does the, how it, will this have changed Silicon Valley on the other side? When we restart Silicon Valley, are things going to be different? It will be. Um, I think the main difference will be, uh, and I saw this with the other booms, you have a lot of people who are drawn to being entrepreneurs mm. because it feels like exciting, you know, just like when Hollywood's booming or TV booms, people are like, oh, I need to write a screenplay. I need to go to Hollywood. I need to be an actor, a director, a screenplay writer. And then if the industry is calmed down, you don't get as many tourists. Yeah. And so we've been peak tourist season in Silicon Valley, yeah. and now tourist season is over. <laughs> <laughs> you so know, much. And it, think about it. I mean, have, I've had a lot of these conversations where people are like, you know what? I just don't want to make the cuts. It's not worth running the company with three people instead of 15. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be too hard. I'm just going to shut it down, sell the asset. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, like if you're not cut out for this, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, if all of a sudden there was a draft and we all had to go to war, we'd find out some people are not good soldiers. Yeah. And when, you know, when there's no war, Everybody seems like a good soldier, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's what's going to happen. The best investments, we had a, a talk internally with our investment company, and we are going to be making more investments in the second half of this year because at our accelerator at launch, um, we see so many companies who are like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go to an accelerator. I think I'll just raise $10 million. You know, I'll do like three or four meetings and I'll raise $10 million. And that obviously wouldn't occur, but maybe they would get $500,000 or a million dollars from an angel or from a seed fund. 
And now that's not going to be possible. You're going to have to really, the benchmark is going to be much harder to get funded and the dollar amounts will be much lower mm. and the valuations will be lower. So it's just a reset. Everything goes back down to, you know, smaller budgets, smaller salaries. And San Francisco, you watch this happen a couple times here. You know, the rents spike yeah. and the rents go back down. Yeah. The rents spike, they go back down. So I, I suspect it will be... Uh, 20% of companies will go instead of 10% in the next six months. Because usually, you know, every three to six months, we see 10% of the company shut down. I think it'll double or triple. It'll just take the companies that weren't going to make it anyway, yeah. and they will go quicker. I mean, it's the zombie apocalypse in the sense that it's the apocalypse for all the zombie startups. Exactly. Yeah, and it's, um, it's a culling of the herd that occurs. You know, and, and I was talking to somebody in the restaurant business, and they said they thought upwards of 80% of restaurants yeah. in LA where they operate were not going to reopen. And I said, is that the real number? And he said, well, it really depends on what the landlords say, because some of the landlords might just use this as an opportunity to find a new tenant um, and not give the rent abatement. <laughs> but, I mean, and I'm like, who's the new tenant? Right? It's the new tenant. You, you can't have anyone come into your restaurant. I, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Last question. What do you think this has changed forever? If we do this at the beginning of Series 9, so let's say it's April next year, and, and you'll be back on, because yeah. you're always guest number one here on, on a new <laughs> oh, series. thank you. That's but, so great. But, you know, if we're looking back next year, what, we, what, what do you think we'll say has changed forever as a result of the pandemic? I think it will make people um, maybe plan things out a little bit more. Um, I'm talking on a business basis here, but, yeah. you know, people will uh, be a little more conservative in planning. So thinking about a plan B is really hard to get a founder to think about in an up market. They're just like, why would I need a plan B? <laughs> I'm working <laughs> well, with... Uh... <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and it gets this bad. It's like, you need plan C, uh, which I call the cockroach plan, which is, will we survive till next year? So I think you'll see a little bit of that. I think as a society, you know, uh, I'm really hopeful that the world facing this mm. will make the world coordinate better and... You know, you look at global warming, which is something that yeah. the people of Australia are suffering through right now yep. uh, on a very acute basis, and they appreciate in California, we really think about it uh, because it's been very acute for us yeah. with the wildfires as well. And that's another humanity problem. Yep. This is a humanity problem. It's not a China problem or an Italy problem or Australia problem. It is a humanity problem. Yeah. And if you look at what happened with uh, emissions and the air quality. Air quality in all these cities magically went up. And we're like, oh, wait a second. Air quality can be perfect? Oh, wait. We could solve big problems if we act together. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's my big hope for all of this, is that we start acting together on some of these big problems. Uh, and, and we got lucky with this one. I was watching Bill Gates, who you know basically predicted this like four years ago in a TED Talk. Yeah and begged everybody to take it more seriously. And I think, you know, we'll start to take it more seriously. Um, and it'll take coordination. We have to learn to coordinate as a species, not just as independent cities, states, regions, countries, continents. We, we have to have a really global outlook on some things. And what if this had been 30, 40% death rate? You so, know, like uh, MERS. MERS has a 30% death rate. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and this one was really cruel in that, you know, the symptoms didn't show up uh, for many people so that they were infecting a lot of people. And, 
you know, it might have been very compassionate in that it affected the old or people who maybe were closer to the end of the life as opposed to young people. What if the next one affects young people more? And we're sitting here going, oh, my God, the children are being affected by this one. we got to take this very seriously. Uh, and we have to have early warning systems. And there's no technology here. I've been trying to get straight answers for, well, if ventilators are so important, ICU beds are so important. Do we know how many ICU beds we have? Is there a database of those? Is there how many of them are being utilized right now? Do we have any kind of load management on that? Because if this, just the number of hospital beds per citizen in some countries is extremely low. Yes. And so when you think about the fragility of systems we build, we've been optimization crazy and not redundancy crazy. Right. We have to start thinking about redundancy. Right, and resilience. And resiliency, yes. Yeah. Redundancy and resiliency and just those plan Bs and Cs, like how many beds do we have? How many ICUs do we have? How, and, and the supply chain is this crazy miracle of humanity that when it breaks is really scary. What if we can't get drugs? I mean, that was the panic a month ago. Yeah. They were telling everybody, get a year's worth of whatever prescriptions you need. And if you have a concierge doctor, yeah, um, yeah great, you can do that. If, you're on, if you don't have healthcare, you can't do that. Yeah. And if you have normal healthcare, you can't do that. Right. So right. what normal citizen's able to say, give me 12 months of my drug from their doctor? Only rich people can do that. It's yeah. really unfair. And we need to be resilient so that you can make drugs in your country. Uh, and if you need to make ventilators, your country still has the ability to make basic manufacturing. Yeah. Globalization's been wonderful. It's efficient. It's lifted people out of poverty. But resiliency, also important. And so now we find the other dial that we've been searching for, because we had that efficiency dial turned all the way up to 11, and now we're like, oh, there's a resiliency dial. Maybe we should turn that up from Sarah. Jason, as always, it is a delight and a wonder to talk to you. Thank you for joining us on This Week in Startups Australia. All right, my brother. I can't wait to see you in person. All right, you too. Big thanks to Twist to Sponsors UTS. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to Jason Calacanis for making the time to come on our show. Visit our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything, all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links, and all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. We'll be back soon, probably in about a fortnight, with our first news special for Series 8. And as you might expect, it will be filled with unexpected events. Until then, this is Mark Pesci telling you to stay well, stay safe, and thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.